I want to share with you today about walking free of the spirit of condemnation. Amen. Condemnation is something that affects so many people in our world because our world is wired the negative way. Our world brings pain to us. Our world tells us that we are not what God wants, says we are. And as human beings, we also make mistakes. We make wrong decisions. We go to the wrong places. We meet the wrong people. We do things that affect our lives. Unfortunately, then we allow ourselves to walk around with this sense of heaviness and weight on our lives. My prayer today is that as we share from God's word, that God will release you from the spirit of condemnation. I'm using a familiar passage in John 8, reading from verse 1. And it reads, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery. Now that would be bad enough to say this woman was taken in adultery. Mara, they become more graphic in the very act. In other words, we caught her red-handed. And I have a problem with that. I have a problem with that because when you read the rest of the passage, we don't seem to see where the man went. Surely she could not commit adultery by herself. I mean, don't try to put the wool over my eyes now. Could it be that maybe the guy might have been one of the scribes and the Pharisees. Because that's what the world does and that's what religion does. It wants to embarrass you. It portrays itself as holier than thou when itself is struggling with the same issue. Religion loves to project or people with a religious spirit, rather. They really love to project and tell you how wrong you are when, in truth, sometimes the reason they are shouting so hard is because they are struggling with the same thing. And that is why when Jesus confronted people along the same lines and the same type of behavior, he'd say to them, how do you see a speck in your brother's eye and forget the log that's in your eye. In essence, Jesus says when you are pointing your one finger at others, there's three of them that are pointing at you. Because a religious spirit will always condemn and will always be holier than thou and will always try to make its action suitable and justify what it does. It becomes choosy and it picks who the law works on. 
It adjusts and edits as it goes along. It was wrong for the woman, but it wasn't wrong for the man. It was okay to embarrass her and get their friend. Probably he was there too, acting holier than thou. So they say to Jesus, she was caught in the very act, and now they start getting religious on him, and they start quoting the Pentateuch, the law of Moses. They say, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? So not only are they behaving in a funny way towards the woman, now they are behaving in a funny way to Jesus. Because this question is a difficult question. Whichever way he answers it, he's going to be wrong. So they are setting him up, as always, because they want to catch him. If he says, stone her, they will say, where is your love? Where's your forgiveness? If he says, don't stone her, they will say, oh, so you are disobeying Moses and the prophets. So whichever way Jesus goes, he's going to be wrong. And that's what happens in the world when you get set up by people that no matter what you do, you're going to be wrong. But I love the way Jesus handles the situation. He's walking in the spirit of wisdom, revelation, knowledge, insight, the same spirit that we need leadership to have. Because as a leader, you have to make decisions. And sometimes when you make decisions, whatever you do, you are wrong. Like Ray Chokas Sutu, and Jesus raises his level of leadership by throwing the question back into their court. And in doing so, he is doing so as an intercessor on behalf of this woman, standing for the case of this woman that these people want to embarrass so much. And he throws that question back to them. Because they continued asking him, so he lifts himself and he says to them, he first of all, he's, he, they, they, he stoops down and he begins to write on the ground and they continue asking him and he lifts himself and he says, look, he who is without sin, let him be the first one to throw a stone because God knows that whilst we are condemning others, we are worse sinners ourselves. God understands human nature that it likes to condemn and to look down upon them. And Jesus says, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first one to cast a stone because they kept pushing, kept pushing, kept pushing. And then what he does, he stoops down and he starts to write on the ground. Now the Bible doesn't tell us what he wrote. Mara, you don't mind me adding some peri-peri there? know, but I, I think Jesus uh, when he wrote on the ground, one of these Pharisees ascribed, one of the Pharisees his name was Simon. Oh, let's call him Joshua. No, let's call him Sizwe. Yeah, maybe Sizwe sounds right, right? Yeah, let, let's say, oh, 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 better, oh, yeah, that means in Sizwe. So Jesus stoops down and he writes and says, Sizwe. Who is this Magdalene that you were with last night? <laughs> and the Bible says, when he wrote down, he stooped down, wrote on the ground, and they which had it, being convicted by their conscience, 
They start living one by one. I'm sure Sisyo Itzahara are you. Job Why are they living? Their conscience is convicting them. Why is their conscience convicting them? They know that whilst they are condemning her, they are struggling with the same thing. They know that whilst they are embarrassing her, humiliating her, they themselves are struggling with the same thing. And Jesus answers in such a way that they themselves have to answer their own question. He's not going to fall in any ditch. He's going to put it before them. They have to deal with this reality and see what they do. And convicted by their own conscience, they start living. The Bible says they left from the greatest of them to the least of them. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing in the mist. And so Jesus lifts himself up and saw that, oh, they're all gone. And then he asked, woman, where are your accusers? It's interesting, this same word, accuser, is the same word that's used in the book of Revelation to refer to Satan. Satan, who is the accuser of the brother and the Bible says, and he accuses them before God day and night. Where are those who allow themselves to have a serpent attitude, a demonic spirit, a satanic approach to your life? Where are they? Because all they do is to condemn. All they do is to embarrass. All they do is to heap up condemnation. And she said, well, they're not here. And Jesus makes one of the most powerful statements in verse 11. He says, neither do I condemn you. But then he doesn't end there. He says, go and sin no more. Jesus says, I'm not condoning what you're doing. But I'm not going to condemn you. And that you have received forgiveness, go out and start living in a different way because God's love is restorative. God's love gives us a second chance. God's love gives us a fresh start. Not what the accusers did. Not what the Pharisees and the scribes did. Not what the crowd did. They wanted to condemn her. The word condemn means to give judgment against to pass judgment, to pronounce a sentence upon. The sentence was, she must be stoned. She must be killed. Jesus says, ah, I'm not going to pronounce a sentence on this woman. Instead of allowing you to stone her, I'm going to show her mercy. I'm going to show her forgiveness. Jesus underlines the crux of the gospel and why the gospel is called good news. The gospel has to be good news because it cannot be good news to somebody who is bound by their sin and by their wrong and the gospel comes and destroys them. The gospel can only be good news for those who know that if I am bound, I can be set free. If I have sinned, I can be forgiven. If I am wrong, God can take my wrong and make it right. 
And we see Jesus going around everywhere, talking to people everywhere, showing them love, mercy, forgiveness. Going to the homes of those that society has ostracized like he did it going to the house of Nicodemus, of, of, of Zacchaeus. And when he gets there, he makes the statement, the son of man, he came to seek, to look for, and to save that which is lost. He's saying if you want to know why the son of man came, he's come for those that society doesn't want. He's come for those who have been ostracized. He's come for those whom people say, oh, he hasn't only come for them. He's looking for them. He is searching for them. He is looking out for them. Not only is he looking out for them, when he finds them, when he finds them, he will save them. That's the gospel. That's the good news. One translation reads, the son of man came to look for and to save the people who are lost. Why must God save us from condemnation? Because you see, condemnation is a vicious cycle. Because when you are condemned, you have this feeling of guilt and shame. And sometimes the guilt and shame is over past wrongs. The problem is, you can't go to the past and fix it. The problem is, you can't go back and press delete or erase or reprogram. It's happened. And sometimes... Even if what we did was in the past, we still live today in the presence of the fruit of what we did yesterday. So the question is, will you every day remind yourself? Will you allow yourself that every day you wake up to the fruit of what you did in times of foolishness? Are you going to again start from scratch to condemn yourself? And unfortunately, our world has a way that even when you have progressed, even when you have done something, and when they write a report about you, they will say, the formerly disgraced so-and-so has finished their degree. It is a good story, but it has been diluted by the disgraced part. And that's the world we live in because they are projecting on you. They are trying to feel good by pushing you down. Condemnation is an inward sense of deserving to be punished. So many people, when they think about God, they don't ever see God as a loving God. That's why it's so hard sometimes for people to come to church and I understand. Maybe sometimes we didn't talk about a balanced gospel. That the same God who's a holy God, the same God who's a holy God is a gracious God and it's a loving God. Maybe sometimes we ourselves as church people, we haven't behaved in a loving way. Maybe we ourselves as men and women of the cloth, we haven't treated people well. How do we treat people? 
when they have done wrong, when their life is falling apart, when rightfully they should be stoned, what's our attitude? How do we treat them? Condemnation is an inward sense of worthlessness. An inward sense of having guilt before a holy God. It becomes a haunting feeling over the damage that's caused and one feels helpless in doing anything. Why? Because condemnation demands of you to pay for the wrong when you don't have the power to fix the wrong. Certain things, much as we feel bad about them, we can't fix them. We can do our best to show we're sorry. And sometimes just saying sorry is the, all we can do. But if they are not going to forgive you, what else can you do? If they always keep reminding you that you're the disgrace so and so, what are you going to do? Because condemnation demands you to pay for your wrongdoing. But even worse, it prevents so many people from approaching God with confidence. The book of John says, if our hearts condemn us, then we can approach God with confidence. What condemnation does is after you've prayed, the devil will whip up all your wrongs from your past. And he'll say to you, who do you think you are? You think God is going to answer you? When you've done such and such, such and such, such and such, and when you listen to that, you say, well, all the boxes you've ticked are correct. It's true, I've done that. But it's in my past, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. But he says, Yamara, you did it. He says, Yamara, I understand. So who do you think you are? And it's a misunderstanding of the power of what God can do, of the power of the blood of Jesus that is able to erase the slate. That as much as I may be looking at the fruit of my disobedience of yesterday, the truth is before God, forgiveness has been granted. And the slate has been wiped clean. And so many can't approach God. Many think their prayers will not be answered. Many don't think they can stand against demonic powers. Because one of the things that demonic powers do is to test you insofar as how much you know the scriptures. I remember years ago, somebody was praying for somebody and they were exercising evil spirits out of them. And, you know, because they were young Christians, they didn't know much. The evil spirits intimidated them. Look at your neighbor and say, it will zing zong you. <laughs> Tell your other neighbor, it is going to zing zong you. <laughs> if they don't know what zing zong is, explain to them what zing zong means. Zing zong you. And the evil spirit in this person says, Okasinchi. Now, you can't cast me out because you haven't gone on a fast. And this was a young Christian. They didn't know that demons come out because of the name of Jesus, not because of the fast. And that's what the devil will do. He's a liar. He is the father of lies. He will tell you that God hasn't forgiven you. He will tell you that he's going to attack you at night. He will tell you evil is going to happen to you. An accident is going to come your way because of something that you did many, many years ago. But the devil is a liar. We need to receive and accept the forgiveness of God and the love of God. Because God came for people like us. 
Broken people. People with problems and challenges and issues. Jesus came for people like us. Ah, let's give the Lord a hand if you believe that. Oh, come on somebody. If you believe that, give the Lord a shout in the house. So condemnation prevents us from approaching God with confidence. Many people oftentimes don't even want to go to church because of the fear of being reminded of their wrongs. Condemnation is a feeling of being defiled in your conscience. But the truth is the Bible tells us that only the blood of Jesus can free us from condemnation. And therefore, instead of running from God, let us run to God. Even when they bring us before him and accuse us of what we've done and we stand before him wanting, naked, let's know that God looks past all that and he wants to free us from condemnation. Jesus says to this woman, neither do I condemn you. In short, he's saying, you don't need to be made to pay for your wrongs. You don't have to challenge. You don't have to run away from God. Jesus says to this woman, even if they have exposed you, God covers a multitude of sin. Because God does not have love. He is love. Jesus says to you and to me, you don't need to feel guilty in your role as a dad. Maybe you are an absentee father. Maybe you sired kids all over the place. In the days when you were not a follower of Christ and, and now you've come to know Christ and you realize how much damage you've done. Do your best to mend your ways. Do your best to take responsibility. But remember, don't let condemnation pull you down. Maybe you look at your kids and you realize your absence has affected them and they're behaving in ways that you don't like and you see their lives going the other way. God says, not going to help you to beat yourself over the head. God says to you, mom, you were all alone. You had to raise your children single-handedly. You had to work this side, be a mother and a father. Be a counselor and a helper. You have to take them to school. Help them with their homework. You have to cook for them, dress them. Do everything. You did your best. And when they grew up, they spit in your face. And you're wondering if there's anything wrong you've done. God says to you, you haven't done anything wrong. Even if your child is breaking your heart and are calling you names... You don't need to condemn yourself. And neither do I condemn you, Jesus says. He says to you as a child, you made the wrong decisions. You did things that embarrassed your parents. You did things that affected your life. Yes, you did that. That was then. But here is my grace to you. Here is my love to you. Instead of running away, trying to mend your ways and solve your things, why don't you come just as you are? Because there's a fountain of love that will never run dry. 
God says, don't feel bad as an employer. Don't feel bad as an employee. Don't feel bad as an educator. Don't feel bad as a business person. Don't feel bad as a community leader. Don't feel bad as a church member. Don't feel bad as a church leader. Don't feel bad at all. Neither do I condemn you. Because condemnation is the door that Satan will use to afflict you. It's a weapon that he will use to imprison you. Because once you walk in condemnation, you never realize the fullness of your potential. Even when God is trying to tell you, even when God is trying to talk to you, Gideon, and he says to you, Hail, thou mighty man of valor. You look back at your background and say, How can I be that? Because look at my background. Look at where I come from. God says, I know about your yesterday. I understand your yesterday. But I'm here to show you about your tomorrow. In Isaiah 54, verse 17. It says in the Good News Translation, no weapon that has been made to be used against you will succeed. You will have an answer for anyone who accuses you. This is the inheritance of the Lord's servants. Their victory comes from me, declares the Lord. God says those who accuse you don't stand a chance. Those who try to condemn you don't stand a chance. There is no weapon formed against you that will prosper. There is nothing they say about you, to you, and from you that will be able to stand. And you need to declare, you need to say it. Victory comes from the Lord. And no weapon formed against me will prosper. I'm not going to go around and walk around with my head bowed and and my shoulders drooping. I know my past might not seem glorious, but what made the difference is the Jesus Christ coming into my heart. That's what made the difference. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, when Jesus came away and stood on my behalf and said, stop condemning him, stop condemning her. Neither do I condemn you. See, condemnation comes, as we note, sometimes because of people. Sometimes because of Satan, the accuser. But sometimes because of our guilty conscience. How then do we get set free from condemnation? Number one, we need to understand that God is a God of mercy. In Matthew 9, 13, this is what it says. Can we have it up on the screen, please? Matthew 9, 13. But go you and learn what that means. I will have mercy. And not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous. But the sinners to repentance. That's Jesus answering the religious leaders of the day. Who always had their noses up. With a religious spirit condemning everybody. Jesus says you can take the Bible and kill people with it. 
You can take God's word and the law and kill people with it and never realize that God is a God of mercy. And God is looking for mercy. God is searching for mercy. Not just sacrifice. He's searching for mercy. He didn't come and call those who feel that they don't need him. He didn't come for those who feel that their life is all okay. He came for those whose life is falling apart. In this way, same way that a doctor doesn't come for those who are well. A doctor comes for those who are sick. So, we just differ in the levels of ghouling. But so, but the reason we are shouting and we are praising God is because Jesus Christ came for us. This is why sometimes it's kind of hard, you know, when you see God use people because you know what they used to do. It's kind of hard. It's kind of hard. Maybe they stole your car. And now they're coming to preach to you. Anybody knows what I'm talking about? And you feel like, look, before I can accept what you're talking about, can I punch you first? And then maybe I can give you a hearing. And God seems to just overlook all that and forgive people. He came for those who are not well. So understand that he's a God of mercy. Number two, Romans chapter eight, verse one. I love it. I love it. It says, there is therefore now. Somebody say now. now. Say it again. Now. Say it again. Now. Say it again. Now. There is therefore now, note what it says, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now there's no condemnation. So in other words, you have to stand against the spirit of condemnation. Now I didn't say we mustn't feel guilty for doing wrong. I didn't say we mustn't repent for anything wrong we've done. We should do that. But after we've repented, 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but it doesn't end the end to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So after we've prayed and confessed, we must believe we have been cleansed and we mustn't allow the enemy to remind us and condemn us. Somebody say now. now. Say it again, now. 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 There is no condemnation. Hallelujah. Number three appropriate your forgiveness. When God offers forgiveness, receive that forgiveness. Ephesians 1.7, it reads as follows. In whom we have redemption, that's in Christ Jesus, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, plural, not a sin, sins, plural, according to to the riches of his grace. Watch that verse. It talks about the riches of his grace. What does it mean? It means there is so much of God's grace that there is no way our sin could be so much that his grace cannot handle. 
Now please, I'm not in any way implying live anyhow, do whatever, God will forgive you. That's not what the Bible teaches. We live right, we do our best to live for God, but if you're human, there's sometimes you're going to miss it. Sometimes you'll buy that. Sometimes the ghouling will come to And if that happens, that's why it says if we confess our sins, he's faithful. Uh, in other words, you can trust him. You can trust what he says. You can trust him when he says you can be open with me. You can trust him when he says you can talk to me about it. And he's just, he's saying, I have committed myself to my word. I have told you what the just requirements are. I'm not going to turn back. This is a legal term. This is a legal process. If you do this, I'll do that. I can't turn. I'm not going to break it. He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So, appropriate your forgiveness. What does it mean? After you've prayed, tell yourself you've been forgiven. Remind yourself you've been forgiven. Act like you have been forgiven. Why? Because Satan, the accuser of the brethren, will make sure he reminds you of the wrong that you've committed. And he will always be playing out this in your mind to tell you that you're not forgiven. Number four, think differently about yourself in line with God's word. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3 it says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not walk after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In other words, make sure when you think about your life, let your thoughts be in line with God's word and any thought that contradicts what God has said about the situation, cast it down. Don't walk around with condemnation in your life. Don't continue reminding yourself of the things that you did in the past and beating yourself over the head. It's water under the brach. It's water under the bridge. It's happened. You can't change it. But God, much as you can change your past, you can change your future by the grace of God. And number five, receive the grace of God that brings change in our lives. Hebrews 9.13, I love it. It says, if the blood of bulls and goats and of ashes and heifer and the sprinkling of unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot all to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. God is able to purge our conscience. There's a song we used to sing years ago, that used to say, You remember that song? So it's most like God 
takes your heart and puts it in the washing machine. And he puts spiritual detergent and turns on the washing machine. And in that process, washes out all the stains, washes out all the dirt. And when it comes out of this washing machine, it's clean as clean could be. That's what the blood of Jesus does in our hearts. Remember, Jesus talked about how it is from the heart of man where all these evil things come from. It is from the heart of man, as the, as, the, as the Ezekiel talks about, as Isaiah talks about, he says the heart of man is deceitful above all things. Who can change the heart of man? Who can transform the heart of man? Let me tell you, who can transform the heart of man? It's only God and the blood of Jesus. But God takes this heart, transforms it, and purges it, and makes the conscience clean. And because the conscience is clean, you can serve the living God without fear, without condemnation. And you can walk around in your life and say, yeah, I know my past, but I know the difference that Jesus brought in my life. Come on, somebody shout hallelujah in the house. Our world needs forgiveness. And today I want to present to you what the Bible says about God's forgiveness. We read the story of the prodigal son whom the Bible says after he left home his father was looking for him. Always waiting, scanning the horizon hoping the child would come back. But the boy came back to his senses. And he did a kumbulekai. <laughs> but before he went home, he rehearsed his speech to say, when I see my dad, this is what I'm going to say. Father, I'm so sorry for what I've done. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Make me, make me a servant. But as we read the story as it unfolds, when he got home, the father didn't even give the brother a chance to say anything. He was going to say, make me a servant. The father, in a sense, even before he could, the boy could say anything, he moved on and says, look, bring a cloak. This, my son, who was once dead, is back. He's alive now. In other words, the father is saying, you don't need to rely on your strength to be made. You need to rely on the grace of God for the garment to be put on you. Because it is the grace of God that does more than what we deserve. The grace of God gives us what we didn't work for. The grace of God comes in our lives and puts a garment on us and makes us God's children. That's why when we sing, we say, amazing grace. And God extends his grace and his love because so many people are struggling with the reality of not being forgiven. In 2011, there's a story that was written by Ernest Hemingway. He entitled it, The Capital of the World. In this story, he tells the story of a father and his teenage son who became estranged from one another. And the boy left home 
angry with his dad, went away, did all kinds of wrong things. And in his shame, he couldn't come back home anymore. Even if his life continued to waste away. But you see, a father's heart, a true father's heart, will never give up on a child like that. And the father searched all over Spain for this boy whose name was Paco. But still he couldn't find the boy. With all his attempts, finally in desperation, he decided that in the city of Madrid, he's going to make this last desperate attempt to find his son. So he places an ad in the newspaper there in Madrid. And the ad read, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana, noon, Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. He prayed that the boy would see the ad. And maybe, just maybe, he would come to Hotel Montana. So on Tuesday at noon, he arrives at the hotel. And when he did, he couldn't believe his eyes. An entire squadron of police officers had been called out in an attempt to keep order because there were 800 boys who had turned up. Each one of them was named Paco. Each one of them had come to meet his respective father and find forgiveness in front of Hotel Montana. 800 boys named Paco had read the ad in the newspaper and 800 of them had hoped it was their dad. 800 Pacos had come to receive their forgiveness. They so desperately desired. Because all of us, we want to be forgiven. No matter what we've done, we want to be forgiven. And this morning I want to tell you, Jesus Christ hung on the cross for you. You don't need to walk around with condemnation in your life. You don't need to walk around feeling bad about the things that you've done. Jesus Christ hung on the cross for you. I don't know what your name is, but allow me to call you Paco, Paco. You can come home today. Jesus is waiting for you. Paco, all is forgiven. All has been taken care of. All that God asks of you is, will you receive his invitation? Will you take a step towards this grace and say, here I am. Some of you, you've been invited this morning or you've come on your own. And as yet, you haven't received Christ as Savior and Lord. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to invite Jesus Christ and say, Lord, here's my life. Here's my broken life. Here am I in need of forgiveness. I'm not hiding anything. But I know that your love and your grace is abundant. It's bountiful. It's plenty. I can find forgiveness in you. Would you bow your heads, everybody, please, and close your eyes. Hallelujah.
Jesus. Our heads bowed, our eyes closed. I want to ask you, will you receive God's invitation today? Will you say yes? Will you say, God, here am I? Here am I. If you are here and you say, I need prayer. I I want to invite Christ into my life. I don't want to walk around in condemnation anymore. I want Jesus to change me and make me a child of God. I, I know I can't change myself. God only is the one who can change me. Would you pray for me, please? If that's you and you need the prayer, would you just raise your hand right where you are? I want to pray for you right now. Just raise it up right where you are. Thank you for those hands. Raise it up all over the place. All over the place. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Jesus. Those of you who raised your hands, can you just stand on your feet right where you are? I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God's mercy. God's grace. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you, you, you should have raised your hand, but you want to stand with these people. God bless you. Just go ahead and stand. Just join them. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. God wants to forgive you. God wants to change your life. God wants to transform you. Don't worry about who is saying anything. It's only God who wants to change your life. Hallelujah. Maybe you have brought a friend. You've brought a neighbor. You have brought a colleague. You know they should be standing. Maybe they are afraid. But if you were to stand with them, they will stand with you. Just tell them, you know what? I'll stand with you and go ahead and stand with them. Just go ahead all over this place. Just stand with them. There they are at the back. Stand with them. Stand with them. Anybody else? There they are right there. Come on. Come on. All over the place. There they are at the back. Stand with them. Come on. Everywhere. There they are. God bless you. Stand with them. 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 We understand that you are safe. Stand with them. Only God is able to change. Only God is able to transform our lives. Hallelujah. 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 You know what I want to do? I want to pray for all of you who are standing. I'm going to ask you, please, if you could take all your belongings. Don't leave any of your belongings behind. And just walk to the front. Come stand right here. We're going to pray together. These people are going to encourage you. Don't worry about anybody. Just walk to the front. That's right. Come on.